Transforming a Nation. In this podcast, Janet discusses the church's role, mandate, and practical strategies for societal transformation. Be encouraged as Janet shares prophetic insights for realigning nations with God's original plan and their kingdom destiny. Absolutely, 100%. And you know, I'm just thinking of uh, the apartheid system government and in itself, um, it was corrupt. Um, its values were corrupt. And so although we, we, we're living 30 years later with a different government, but yet we have a different kind of apartheid. And we have a different kind of um, corruption. And um, the systems, as you say, are serving the values of the ruling party. Yeah, you know, I think of how um, um, trillions are saying trillions have, um, you know, been um, lost in our country through corruption, through you know, serving self-serving politicians, and and so uh, this is why we we need not only systems, but as you say, we need a certain kind of person that um, serve these systems, those of kingdom values. I want to ask you something. Um, how would you say um, the church and government, the church and politics can work together in this day? Because as you say, it is really only those that have a heart, a moral heart, um, um, a moral conscience and a love for this nation. But, you know, so, so through the ages, church and state have been divided. So, what? How do you buy into this um, this theory of church and state working together for the betterment of the nation? Yeah. So, I think the idea of the separation of church and state really came out of um, the states, um, and originally was a a separation of church and state in order to make sure that the state didn't overstep its jurisdiction in church. Um, so the idea was to keep the state out of church business, funnily enough, not the other way around. Um, but what we see is a misunderstanding, I think, of the idea of jurisdiction in these two sectors of society. Um, because, in fact, you cannot remove values from a state and expect that state to operate in an amoral way for everybody. Um, because what, in fact, happens instead is that it becomes immoral. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of man trying to decide what is good and evil for man becomes a situation that is completely subjective eventually. Um, people don't have a plumb line for right and wrong or for the idea of what is good um, because it depends solely on the opinion of a political party in power, whatever the... Um, academic thought is for that day uh we even see how the 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 decisions that were made around COVID times have been called into question 
in the last months um, leading out of COVID. Uh, decisions that were made by governments and world organizations that really don't make much sense post-COVID, but that we trusted during COVID times. Um, and, and that's just an example of how it is that when you separate a value system from the state or those who can hold a value system and hold the state to account according to that value system, you 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 begin to step into a situation where your systems and your and your governance steps into a very gray area as far as morals and values. Um, and it becomes very difficult to place value on people in that in that sense um, because a love for people, is removed from from the system and how that system operates. So for for me, churches need to not be silent. Um, church leaders and Christians and fo followers of Christ in general need to just be aware of the role that they have to play in, especially the idea around being active citizens. Um, Whatever area of life you feel you are called into, I mean, I I feel that my drivers are really around family and education. The education system in South Africa really grabs at my heartstrings. Um, but even though I don't feel a personal call into running for political office, I need to be very aware of how politics and governance affects the areas of South Africa that I feel called into. So how, how does governance affect education? What is the political situation doing around the family in South Africa? I need to make sure that I'm aware of the current bills that are in parliament and before parliament and, and have an awareness of what kind of laws are about to be enacted in the education space and in the family space um, so that as a Christ follower, I can be sure to be seeing the blueprint of heaven in those sectors and try to stand up against any kind of political interference that would try to, to take the destiny of that sector of society in a different direction. Um, so on a national level, we need to be aware of what govern, government is doing as far as overreach into some of the areas of society where, where they shouldn't actually be. Um, uh, I said last night uh, on our uh, meeting together that, that we've got to be very aware of the fact that our governing party at the moment is making some very, uh, dark aspersions uh, on the NPO and NGO sector of society and the faith-based uh, sector of society in South Africa. They're calling into question the motives of church leaders and of NPO and NGOs in actually holding government to account. They're trying to discredit those sectors of society in this nation. And historically, we know that much of the conscience 
of our of our land during the apartheid era came from those sectors of society um and those sectors of society remember should be looking after the poor and the vulnerable in our country and so when an npo or a church stands up and says hey the government is not feeding children in kzn they've 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 not brought the funding for this quarter for feeding schemes in KZN, we've got to be very careful when we hear government trying to discredit those voices because we what we're seeing there is a lack of accountability and an attempt to silence uh, very free parts of our nation, people who have rights to say these things and to speak truth to power. And as soon as government tries to silence those voices, then we are in trouble. We're heading towards a autocratic society. Mm. Um, so that's on a national level. And then on a personal level, you know, you've got to you've got to take ownership of the idea of, of making those around you aware of what they actually deserve as a citizen in this country, what they what they should have access to what they have rights to as a citizen in this country you know I, I get quite frustrated with two concepts that that get bandied around the one is the idea of South Africans being so resilient yes we are resilient but at the same time we need to draw a line in the sand and say right that's enough we won't accept this normal of load shedding we won't accept this normal of watershedding. You know, these are things that have happened because of government's mismanagement of massive resource in this nation. And we can't just lie down and, and change things in our own personal dwelling so that it makes it easier for us to cope. Because there's a large sector of our society that doesn't even have the choice to do that. And so we can make ourselves feel very comfortable in the middle class and in the upper class, but we have a majority of our nation who don't even have the choice to be able to do that. Um, and so, yeah, something as simple as making sure that everyone in your household has registered to vote and urging them to vote. Um, the majority of people who can vote in our country are unregistered. They're not even going to vote. Um, and we need to to get busy with that, try and motivate and agitate people to vote. Because the second thing that frustrates me is the idea of, oh, we're not political. We don't want to get into politics. Um, you hear that from church leaders. You hear that from business leaders. We don't want to, we don't want to be political. And unfortunately, most of the issues that we deal with as a nation right now are political. And so if you refuse to take up the fight at that level, then I'm sorry to say, but you are allowing injustice to continue in our nation and those political problems will not go away. <laughs> well, that's very, very well said. And, you know, as you're speaking there, I'm thinking of uh, the Springboks, uh, the rugby team. That have, you know, and we've had much um, rejoicing. Uh, a real, our spirits have been 
uplifted in this nation. And here is one voice, um, a number of voices, but one who speaks for the, the majority of the team, um, the leader, Sia Khaleesi. And I was so impressed um, how he spoke up and the Minister of Sport was sitting next to him and he addressed these um, public figures and said, you need to let us know the future vision of this country. You need to give us some hope, you know, and here is just one voice. As a collective, um, as, as the church in South Africa, or those that um, have a, a, a political conscience, a moral conscience for this nation, um, our voices being raised and, and um, changing the atmosphere, bringing government to account. And, and um, I, just one or two last questions. Natalie, um, the way we find ourselves um, the situation in South Africa, um, how much of this would you say is spiritual? How much would you say is natural, which is, you know, lack of accountability, lack of planning? Um, how would you um, describe the two? What are the percentages? Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think that... Um, Janet, I know that you have been such a support to us um, as a pro prophetic voice in our lives and as a prophetic voice into the nation. Um, I think that that you cannot go into the political arena as a believer without the prophetic intercessory voice to support you and to come around you and to take territory um, because I think the call into politics is one that has to recognize the practical and the spiritual hand in hand. And so just some of the things we've done is put a prayer group around us as a couple. Um, we have people praying into um, Build One South Africa. Um, we have got very personal relationships where our our friends and pastors walk alongside us in this way. And those are very necessary things because I think that those those um the spiritual and the political really weigh equally in a lot of ways because as I said to you, as we spoke about these systems. Um, once a system is imbued with certain values and it begins to run for quite a number of years and those years become decades, what we see happening is very often the system comes under a, a, a spiritual stronghold and um, that political spirit makes sure that that system continues to run to produce that evil fruit within a nation and so when we are dismantling those systems when we are reforming those systems it would be almost impossible to do that without partnering with intercessors and prophetic people and wisdom that comes from an apostolic covering um, because one needs to be able to recognize the spiritual stronghold behind that system, the spiritual stronghold that operates in a in a town, the spiritual stronghold that operates over a municipality, 
Um, what is it that is the destiny of that place? Mm. And what is the, the enemy's counterfeit for that, that destiny? And to, so when you are pulling an entire system, a culture, a, 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 an area, a geographical area, when you are pulling it into destiny in Jesus, into destiny in kingdom, you are struggling against the gates of hell. You are struggling against what the enemy has destined for that particular place. And so it doesn't, it doesn't happen quickly most often. It takes quite some time and a lot of prayer and a lot of, you know, standing. The scripture says, you know, and um, at the end of the day, stand. Um, At times, it's just about not going anywhere. Um, not giving up that space and understanding that 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 is the fight that you are, are taking up uh, in that call to politics. It is it is a spiritual battle, and it and it is a uh, practical battle, and so it requires strategy in both. It it requires a a um, strategy in the spirit to be able to take on whatever it is that the, the that territory that the lord is wanting to take back um and what and to fight for the destiny of a nation to fight for the destiny of a municipality to fight for the destiny of even just a people group um the lord has got plans for south africa to represent south to represent south africa to the globe um as a nation reconciled as a prosperous nation, as a nation that can open its doors to foreigners because of the generosity that it that it has, the abundance that it has, um, as a gateway for Africa, we we have so many prophecies over our nation and and the the recognition of God's glory on a global scale. We even see it in the media. We even see South Africa being mentioned in Hollywood movies. Um, you know, here and there, the, the the names of our cities are mentioned by A-list actors uh, because we have a footprint on the globe and, and there's a destiny for our nation. And so we've got to recognize that there's a fight that happens in that political realm in order to, to take back that destiny. That's correct, yes. And as you just Uh, speaking I'm reminded of the scripture that says righteousness exalts a nation but sin Mm -hmm. is a reproach and then South Africa really is in a place of reproach at the moment and and so as we get busy and as we take up that call um, whether you're an intercessor whether you're a politician whether you're a pastor marketplace leader one that's called to education righteousness and justice within those spheres of governance will exalt the nation. And, and so one last word, um, we have the 2024 elections, which are what, seven months away. And how would you encourage people to be involved? Um, I know the doors are open for BOSA. They're looking for um, <laughs> help. And, and those that are really called um, to you know the political sphere, what would your last words of encouragement be? Yeah, so if you feel uh, called to build one South Africa, um, you can very easily find the website. 
with a quick Google search and there, there is a way for you to um, find out information about how you can become a candidate. The candidates in Bosa are chosen differently from most political parties. They choose people who are already showing uh, a record of being active in their communities. They, they, they look at people who have got some kind of qualification to be able to do what they're doing or a track record of uh, activity in, in making the lives of those around them better, improving sectors of society, NPO work, NGO work, uh, business, whatever it might be. And then you need to get your community behind you to nominate you as a candidate. And when you show that you are able to get support from your community and that you have the aptitude and the competency and the capacity to be involved, um, that, that is th then when you are able to go through a training process that BORSA runs so that you can run for office as um, a candidate within the BORSA structure. Um, and so it's not a list where the leaders of the party choose their best people according to whatever it is that they decide is their best people, um, according to who they owe favors to or who needs a salary. It really is a group of people who are devoted to the nation and already doing things within their own communities. Um, and you can also um, donate. The elections are not cheap. They take a lot of money. And if there is um, a way that you could financially assist, uh, that would also be incredible. The the uh, party is has, has got sound financial governance structures in place, which is also different from a lot of what we see out there. Um, and then as a everyday South African, I think... We need to be able to put our minds towards the solutions that our country needs. Yes. And so one of the one of the big things about the candidates that BOSA selects is that we we want to see a plan. We want to be able to see that once you are in government, you know what to do with that authority and that power and and you are able to really put a plan in place that can serve the people of this country um, and better their lives and provide them with a solution for the issues that they're facing. Um, and, and that takes research and education and, and um, really going out there and, and, and putting yourself in a space of not just seeing the problem, but also being part of the solution. And we as everyday South Africans can do that. Um, usually I say to people, what is it that really, really frustrates you? on an everyday basis what are your pet peeves you know is it the potholes is it the way that uh, you see people speaking to those who are uh, um, uh, in service industry uh, you know are, is it is it the way that people are not uh, uh, reconciling in South Africa whatever it is that really upsets you is usually something that God is highlighting to you to be part of the solution on because what we see, others don't see. What irritates us sometimes doesn't irritate others, and it often speaks to the way that we, the way that we are made up as human beings, and what it is that really tugs at our heart. 
And God often use those, uses those very things that frustrate us to, to agitate us to become part of the solution. Um, so yeah, just, just become more active as a citizen in South Africa. Be, be busy with the work of restoring value to people in whatever sector that you're in. Restore value to people. People in our country don't believe that they are worth a better government. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that for generations, people have not been able to choose a better way because their lives have been so cut short um, by terrible systems in our nation. And we, we need to be busy with the work of restoring value to people in whatever we are doing so that they can see that they deserve better in our nation mm -hmm. and so that they can make those choices for a better nation themselves. Yes, so this is not so much, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, traditionally choosing a party, but choosing to value people and a better South Africa. And so this is a fresh opportunity. This is something new for you as the electorate to choose something new, a new way of doing things. You know, when Moses built the temple, he had to choose those that were skilled, artisans that were skilled, that had a good track record, knew what they were doing, called to the office, called to building that temple. And so it's exactly the same for South Africa. Here's a fresh opportunity. And I want to encourage you to pray about building South Africa through one South Africa. Amen. Well, thank you so much, um, Natalie. Um, it's been a real privilege. We planned 30 minutes, but we've gone to an hour, which um, is so wonderful because we'll do <laughs> a part two and um, you will be blessed. And thank you so very much. God bless you. And we'll see you in two weeks time with our... Um, thank you, Dennis. Register to vote. Yes, register to vote. God bless you. God bless everyone. Thank you, Nate.